Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two HQ.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463. Like three, two, one till I make a jingle out of that phone number, yeah. right? Yeah, you've been you've been dying to for some I've time. I've been now. trying to. 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. We have a thrilling guest coming. Oh soon. my gosh, a major one. A major guest, a Tuza Rubenstein. But first, we have a thrilling new term that yes. I've been excited to have in my life. Same. Um, Same. It just feels useful. I agree. So the term public affluence. Mm-hmm. It is both a great like little phrase mm-hmm. and it's a good societal goal. Yes. Agreed. Right? Yes. Agreed um, completely. So I landed on this article by this guy, Jeremy Williams, and the headline is Every Child on Their Own Trampoline. And you, the first thing you asked when I sent it to you was, where the fuck did you find this? Well, because it was like the sidebar ad was for his book that was like, something about like Christian climate change or something. And I was just like, what, how did you land on? Not, not that there was anything wrong with that, but I was just like, are you following? Like, what, what took you here? What, what took, took you, you to here? this man who writes about the intersection of Christianity and climate change? Fair question. Mm-hmm. I found it from Jason Kotke. Mm-hmm. And I just was like very taken by this article in general. And basically his premise, like the premise is that he has kids in, in like a backyard and had been saying no to them asking to buy a trampoline for years and for like various reasons. But during the pandemic, he caved and, you know, sort of talked about like the why. But one of the big reasons he had been holding out is because he's like, I just hate the idea of like every child on their own trampoline in their backyard. Right. And it's he's just like, like, I look out the window and I see all of these trampolines and all of these backyards and kids jumping on them individually. And I, the visual is so good too, because most trampolines in people's backyards have that netting around it so that the kids don't fall out. So it's like truly like they're bouncing in cages. Yeah. It's like this like walled home. Can I interrupt? Because the other really powerful thing that he says is I look out the backyard and there are all of these trampolines and yet the local playground is in shambles. Yes. And yet the local playground is in shambles and we have these kids, you know, like all alone Mm -hmm. on these like privatized pieces of fun. (laughs) Privatized Um, trampolines. (laughs) And when the public pieces of fun Mm -hmm. are like, they took the swings down when they broke. Instead Um, of repairing them. Yeah, exactly. And so he outlines the difference between private affluence and public affluence in a way that I just thought like really landed. And he said, capitalism pushes us toward private affluence. We aspire to acquire our own things. Shared things are seen as second best, something of an inconvenience. Politics responds accordingly, prioritizing economic growth and more money in your pocket rather than shared goods and services. So everyone has their own lawnmower while the grass grows long in the park. People get their own exercise bikes or rowing machines and the gym at the local leisure center starts to look tired and underfunded. The wealthy pay for childcare, hire a nanny, but the early years nursery closes down. For whatever reason, the like exercise bike visual in this was like, like, no, it's really a very like easy to understand way to look at it. And especially like if you do live in a city where you're used to using a lot of these 
public services and playgrounds and things like that because you don't have a backyard and you don't have room for an exercise bike and all of that stuff. It really hits home. And I think it was funny because I have been really interested in in the importance of parks lately. And this got me sort of thinking about that again, the importance of public parks. And when I quickly Googled about the benefits of public parks, looking for sort of understanding more about the sort of like psychological societal implications, the very first sort of section of this major study that was performed by a major parks organization talked about the economic benefits of parks. And I was like, funny. And the, and like, they talked about how like businesses are more likely to move to parks, move to places where there are parks and houses, uh, property values go up, uh, you know, in places that are closest mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. closer to parks. And I was like, it's really hard to decipher if this is a public affluence or a private affluence argument for parks because- Interesting. Because um, it's like private property is benefiting from exactly, public yeah, affluence. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet, it's also saying we're all getting richer because of the parks, right? So yeah, like that yeah. is sort of public affluence. Like mm-hmm. it was like, I was In like, this way. is yeah. right. It was fascinating. Yeah. I was doing a little bit more digging on, I was trying to get a better understanding of like where the term public affluence came from. And it seems to be rooted in this 1958 book by the economist John Kenneth Galbraith um, called The Affluent Society. And when I went to ask Thomas about this economist and if and what his deal was, I was presented with this book, Claire. Wow. Um, which is a very beautifully designed Pelican version mm-hmm. of the Affluent Society with a champagne cork on the front. Love which it. Is like it is really beautifully designed. Design. Yeah. Like excellent design. And so he wrote this book about post-war America and the movement toward, quote, private affluence and public squalor mm-hmm. that like shocker of all shockers perpetuated income inequality. This book, interestingly, also originated the phrase is conventional wisdom. Wow. And the bland leading the bland. Wow, I love that. The bland which leading the bland. we need to be using yeah, I, more. I was just going to say, I can think of about 20 scenarios in which I'd like <laughs> to employ that. Wow. The bland leading the, leading the bland. John Kenneth Galbraith, favorite new favorite economist of late. <laughs> and favorite new favorite writer, favorite man of words. Favorite man of words. Favorite man of words. No, I really do like this because... I think quarantine has forced us to think about all of this so much more. And for so many reasons, like one, for the most part, we haven't had access to a lot of these things. And so people have like this blogger purchased their own trampolines and and done all of that stuff. But also because on the other hand, in some, for a lot of the last year, public parks were the only things we had access to. Yes. And they felt... I just had this newfound appreciation for them. It's like if becoming a parent hadn't made me appreciate them enough already, this was like this thing where I was like, wow, this is so important. It is like the lifeblood of of so many communities. It is so critical in for like economic reasons, for social reasons, for political reasons, for developmental reasons. Um, and I just started to think about, you know, these parks that have outdoor gyms in them and what that's yeah. meant for people and swimming pools and free museums and all of these things. The library. This also just like led me down various other rabbit holes that feel, at least in my mind, sort of related Mm -hmm. to this. And one, I had been reading more about the Buy Nothing Project, which sort of poses that question of like, what if we made private affluence public? Mm -hmm. And so- the Buy Nothing Project started as these hyper-local Facebook groups, but now they're rolling it out as an app this summer. And they actually just, the day of this recording, released it um, for Bainbridge Island in Washington, which is the first place that a Buy Nothing group started. But the idea of a Buy Nothing group is that you post asking mm-hmm. for something or offering something. It could be a good or a service. And in its mission and principles, they say, you do, we cannot, you do not buy, sell, trade, barter, or otherwise exchange money. It mm-hmm. has to be just something that like someone could, you would give them or they could take. Like that is it. That other mission and principles that I felt like were like very related to this, where we come yeah. from a place of abundance, not scarcity. Um, and we are a gift economy, not a charity. We see no difference between want and need, waste and treasure. These all just feel like they should be mission statements like of not just this, but just like, Yes, um, totally. Just like incredibly useful. And I had been reading my tea leaves posts about buy nothing groups that just like did make me want to be more involved in that world. There's one called Habit Shift by Nothing that we'll link to and another on baby gear specifically. But the first one had this quote that said, in the past week, I've seen a neighbor seeking newborn diapers enough to last through one more week of needing them. I saw someone else looking for and receiving a few scoops of potting soil. Someone else borrowed a tablecloth and another person borrowed a cooler. 
it's all so encouraging, isn't it? It really um, is. Which just is how it, that's how I feel. It's mm-hmm. all so encouraging, isn't it? Um, and just, you know, in addition to the many benefits of not buying these things and not throwing these things away, it's forcing people to interact with other people yeah. in their communities in a way yes. that I think has really gotten lost. It's funny. It reminds me actually of my dad has always been, I don't know why, but he's always been really good about donating his old instruments. You know, okay, I take that back. I do know why. My dad's a hobbyist. So he's always had instruments, photo gear, all of these things that he eventually like doesn't need anymore. And so he's always donating them to schools or or professional photographers or whatever. And there are so many stories of these people he has met and formed relationships with because like the school could use a French horn that he's not using anymore or this professional photographer was so excited to get his enlarger. And then that professional photographer turned out to have photographed Derek Jeter when Derek Jeter was really young and then gave my dad this like incredible portrait of Derek Jeter when he was like 18 and just started out playing baseball and stuff. And like now he has this lifelong relationship with this woman and my, like she's like, she feels like like a family friend or something, you know, even though they're not close, but it's just like these connections are like what makes life interesting. And I love that. I love it. I love it. The connection part. The other thing that's made me think of, I was having a conversation with a friend recently who was bemoaning meeting people on dating apps. And this is a person who like met his current girlfriend on dating apps. And it wasn't the same usual. Like, I feel like I have a lot of friends who bemoan meeting people on dating apps. I swiped through one recently for a friend (laughs) and was floored. It's awful. Oh, 100%. And like, and I am not negating any of the other reasons to gripe about dating apps. But his his, like main gripe, Nick's, was that that like we've lost the art of flirting. Mm-hmm. We've lost the art of like striking up a conversation with someone in public and not knowing where it's going to go. Yeah. Because on a dating app or when you go on a first date with somebody, you know it's a fucking first date. Right. Like you've already like, you've already both signed on for this. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't that like- Are we going like, to kiss? Are we? Yeah. It's fun. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, that like sense of like connection that- you get when you're like, when you're operating in a public sphere, not in like a private sphere of your phone right. um, with boundaries and walls and trampoline nets. Well, you've lost the like, does this person see me as a potential date because you've already established by the time you meet up Correct. or by the time you've swiped that like, yes, this person's potentially romantically interested versus like, I can't tell if we're just talking like friends or is this a date? Yeah. 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 I don't know. It feels like, yes, it does feel like what you were saying. This now is now feels like such a time to discuss these ideas of like communal shared space and Mm -hmm. human interaction. And like, we've been so starved of all of those things. But like, yeah, the opportunity to reexamine some of it. Thank you so much to Modern Fertility for sponsoring today's episode. Before we get into this, we do want to take a minute to acknowledge how painful the topic of infertility can be for a lot of people and to A, send our love to anyone dealing with infertility or pregnancy loss, and also just encourage you if you need to, to just skip over this ad read. That said, if you are curious about fertility and your own reproductive health, whether it's because you want kids or not, modern fertility is so interesting. And honestly, I kind of can't believe it didn't exist before. I mean, I can believe it because our healthcare system is what it is. But so basically they take the blood sample from this like tiny little finger prick, and then they unlock tons of insight into your reproductive health, meaning egg count, menopause timing. If your hormone levels indicate conditions like thyroid disorders or PCOS, all these things that are good to know whether or not kids are in your future. Like I had a kid and I'm curious about all this stuff. I want to know. Yeah. Who isn't curious? Who doesn't want to know when menopause is going to start? I want to know. I want to know. (laughs) Reproductive health feels like this giant mystery for so many people, myself included. And it just, it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be. When you think about all this stuff, like we spend all this energy and effort trying to figure out how do we not know more about reproductive health? Like you're getting your chart read, but you don't know how many eggs you have left. So I just, right. (laughs) That's the line, Claire. That's the line. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing with a doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash a thing or two, you can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have an HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility 
fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. If you want kids today, or maybe one day, or maybe not at all, you're going to want the information that will help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash a thing or two. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash a thing or two. Modernfertility.com slash a thing or two. Thank you so much to Nutrafol for sponsoring today's episode. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know Nutrafol is a long, long time very valued partner of ours. We love talking about Nutrafol. We hope you love, love listening to us talk about Who Nutrafol. Wouldn't? Who wouldn't? I don't know. So they, the Nutrafol make supplements that address hair loss and thinning in women. They really actually work. I also just appreciate that this company is like thinking about this for women, which is something that people have neglected to do for so long. It's always been about like Rogaine and whatever else because men's hair, men were losing their hair. And finally we're having companies realize like, oh, we can provide this for women as well. I also love that they're addressing something else that's so often neglected, which is menopause. So they now have two different formulas. So the Nutrafol women is ideal if you're experiencing thinning hair caused by stress, dieting, overstyling, and environmental toxins, which I feel like, check, check, check. And then they also have their women's balance, which is formulated with additional hormone support for those with thinning hair due to menopause, which I just love. I really appreciate this. I feel like the companies are addressing these demographics that have just been really ignored for so long. And I appreciate that there are companies like Nutrafol out there, you know, thinking about, thinking about us. 100%. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. It's made of natural, clinically effective medical-grade botanicals for better hair growth through whole body health, and it's physician-formulated to be 100% drug-free. On top of thicker, stronger hair without lasers or chemicals, Nutrafol's ingredients may also help you get a better handle on your sleep, your stress, your skin, your nails, your libido. Sounds pretty great. Mm-hmm. When you subscribe, you'll receive monthly deliveries so you never miss a dose. 77% of women saw improvements after just 90 days. Again, 77% of women saw improvements after just 90 days. Even if you aren't experiencing thinning hair, Nutrafol can help you grow thicker, stronger hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using the promo code a thing or two to save 20% off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's available to US customers for a limited time. Plus free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code a thing or two. Thank you so much for supporting the advertisers who support our show. I'm Lexi. I'm Shannon. I'm Tiffany. And this is the 6 and 9 podcast. Family dinner is at 6 and pre-drinks are at 9. We're serving laughs, cocktails, and lots of stories we probably shouldn't share. In this multi-generational mother-daughter podcast, nothing is off the table. We're unfiltered, uncensored, and undone. You can catch a new episode of 6 and 9 every Tuesday anywhere you listen to podcasts. And you are invited. Should we tee up our guest? Uh, we should tee up our guest. She's, um, so- this is someone who's an important part of Erica Cerullo, like lore, history. Totally. If I were writing a memoir, Atuza would be in it. That's right. Um, like it or not. That's right. So you might know Atuza's name because she was the founding editor of Cosmo Girl. And at 26, she was the youngest editor-in-chief in Hearst Magazine's 100-year history. She will tell you that shit don't matter. But that was like a thing for sure. And then she was the editor-in-chief of Seventeen from 2003 to 2006, which I feel like is when you know, you and I like sort of generationally Mm -hmm. connected Mm -hmm. um, with some of her content. Mm -hmm. And she recently reemerged in the public sphere with a new substack called the Tuza Unedited. um, That feels like basically like, I don't know, one of her editor's letters, but written for grown women, not for teenagers. But she somehow has really managed to replicate the same dynamic. Yes, exactly. In a way where you exactly. feel like she's like letting you into her life by way of, and, and like, like guiding you, but yes, not in a pushy way. Exactly. Like, I don't know. In this newsletter, she is incredibly vulnerable and just shares a lot of herself. She writes about divorce. She writes about breakups. She writes about being sexually abused by cousins as a child. She writes about trauma. She writes about affairs. And like all of it was just like so much love. I, I just like don't know how else to express For herself that. and for her audience. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. 
to speak to what Claire was saying about that this person was like so meaningful to me. When I, between my junior and senior year of college, I did this thing called Road Trip Nation, which I don't know if we've ever had cause to mention this here before, (laughs) where I drove across the country from LA to New York with two friends in an RV and interviewed people who had taken interesting career paths. And we set up all the interviews ourselves. And And it was a, it was a PBS reality show, basically. I don't know if it was a reality show. It was, it was filmed for like a PBS series. And Atuza was someone that I was like, you know, deeply enamored with. And we met up with her the day that we got to New York. So it was a Friday afternoon. We were driving, I was driving a full-size RV up the island of Manhattan from the southern tip to Times Mm Square-ish where the offices were because you couldn't take bridge or you couldn't take tunnels because Mm -hmm. it was was an an RV RV. and had gas. And in Friday summer traffic, and we showed up like two hours late for our interview with her um, because we were driving an RV up Manhattan. And we show up and she was like, what happened, guys? Um, (laughs) And like in such a kind, like you didn't throw up like a kind way that acknowledged that we were incredibly late, that we threw off her Mm -hmm. entire day, that she was supposed to have left the office at this point and with so much love. And she just really said things that like spoke to me and really informed my path. So you had decided you wanted to be a magazine editor. Claire, I did not. You had, I no, had not. I thought you had, no? No. Oh. She was like, no, part of that conversation with her was, I was like, I don't know what I want to be. And she was like, but you do really. And I was like, oh no, this is going to go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, where she's like, you secretly know what you want to be. And, and she was like, I think, then we started talking about magazines and she was like, what magazines do you read? And like, what, you know, what have you read in your life? And I was like, well, Disney Adventures and Consumer Reports for Mm -hmm. Kids. She's like, that's not normal. Like, that's (laughs) like extremely not normal. Mm -hmm. And if those are things that you're interested in, like, then you're not being honest with yourself Mm -hmm. um, that this is what you want to do and Mm -hmm. you're scared and you're operating from a place of fear and rejection and like whatever, just like, you know, all of these things that I needed to hear. And then I interned at 17 because of her the winter break of my senior year of college. And she, at the end of my like two week long internship, had a sit down with me about like my internship and about my plans. And was like, she was like, you have to just move to New York. You have to just move to New York and apply for jobs. And you will like get passed over a dozen times, two dozen times, whatever. And it's fine. Um, And you will eventually get a job, but like you have to do it from here. There's no other option. So if you want to do this, you have to do it. And I went like home and told my parents, like, I'm moving to New York after college. And that's what Atuza said. And she knows more than any of us. So <laughs> that's what we're doing. That's the plan. And here we are. How many Fully years 17 later? 17 years later. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, that's how seven, old we are, Claire. But also 17, editor-in-chief <laughs> of 17 Magazine, who wow. you're speaking to 17 years after interning at 17 Magazine for her. <sighs> The universe works in mysterious and also not so subtle ways. Not subtle at all. Very on the nose. Very Did we bring Atuza on? <laughs> yes. Hi, Atuza. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. We are so excited. I was, when we started talking to you about coming on the podcast, I was having these like flashbacks um, and thinking about when I talked to you last, which was when I interviewed you or like had conversations with you in 2004, which is like 17 years ago. And you gave life (laughs) advice that like sticks with me. So just, just like setting the bar there. (laughs) That's where the bar is. We're looking for some life-changing advice. Well, and can I tell the story real quick about, yeah. So I met you as a college student. That's correct. correct. Yeah. And so in my head, you were just this lovely, sweet girl, bright and shiny, all the good (laughs) things that you were and are. And so many, many years later, when I was like, oh, this Instagram thing, let me just join. And I saw your name. I remembered (laughs) you from that. Uh, You really stuck out, stuck out to me. And so, you know, I friended you. I had no idea that you had like created this empire of <laughs> greatness. So when you're like, oh, I put your name in my newsletter, I put your newsletter in my newsletter. Suddenly I, I, I was just like, um, what happened? Cause we got all these new subscribers and I was like, wait, does Erica have a job? Like what, what is she doing now? And I looked you up. I was so embarrassed. Cause I just was like, oh, it's a nice girl I met. And you still are that nice girl, but good. <laughs> Good for you and Claire. You too. You girls. It worked out. Thank you. 
Well done. We were going back. I went back and there's a snippet of the interview that we did for Road Trip Nation with you in 2004. And I watched it recently and sent it to Claire, who like I knew then. We were Mm -hmm. close college friends during that time. She like was like very part of that moment. And we watched this clip of this interview and it was just like, it still like stands out and it's still like very powerful. And you talk about how you basically just like do the thing that's really interesting that's in front of you right now and then do the next thing interesting in front of you then. And by the time you string those things together, man, that's your life's work um, and that's your career. And that just felt like so true to what Claire and I have been going through. And I feel like probably what you have been going through of just like doing these like interesting things in front of you as they present yourself. I love that. And and I think because sometimes I think especially young people have the stumbling block or they have this big idea of where they want to be. And it's hard to climb, you know, Kilimanjaro. (laughs) Yeah. You got to start with doing some day hikes and that are fun and see, you know, just see where your groove is and and then you can get there. It's a little different for me, I think, because of my being in the sort of second part of my life or beginning the second part of my life in that I just had a lot of, I feel like all of your baggage comes up when you get to my age. And how old are you? I'm 49. Okay. And I mean, it's been up for a long time, girls. Let's not, <laughs> <laughs> let's not fuck around here. But, um, but that, that was really, for me, it's been not so much like do the little things that I like, but just look at every rock that's in my way and just really examine it, process it, do what I need to do with it, put it aside and just clear the path, uh, Mm. clear the sort of emotional path um, so that I can get to a place where my creativity will flow again. Is that happening in therapy? Oh, it's happening in everything from, sure, a little bit of therapy, um, a lot of therapy along the way. Mm -hmm. But at this point, I would call it only a little bit of therapy, but like everything from plant medicine Mm -hmm. to, you know, meditation to energy work, theta healing. Like I'll just, you know, I, I have all of these different people in my life. I see it like a toolkit Mm -hmm. and depending on, you know, where I'm at, but at this point I've done a lot of clearing. So I couldn't, I wasn't going to be able to start this unedited letter until I had cleared, cleared a lot. I needed to clear a lot. What made you feel like you were ready to start the unedited newsletter, like ready to share again? There was a very big clearing that happened for me and that is around self-love. And and I talk about it in this week's newsletter. I talk about this like tremendous heartbreak that I had, which was way more painful than my divorce. And I was Hmm. with my husband for 26 years, right? So I was with this guy, but it wasn't so much about him, him too. There was something about him that sort of, I guess because of all the clearing I'd done to date, I was ready to be vulnerable in a relationship. Mm. And so I was like, my soft animal belly was fully exposed. Mm -hmm. It was like a cat, you know, like the cat that trusts its owner so much. And then I got knifed and not because he's a bad guy, but because, you know, I'm sure half of it is me, of course, as it always is. But the point is like, I was really exposed. And so in being knifed, what came out was all the stuff that I'd been almost like looking to process and looking at my mother wound, my father wound, um, the incest, like just everything came oozing out. And so I went through a real grieving process for all of it. And unlike the past, so I've been hurt before many times, you know, certainly in in 49 years, but I've patched up the way Mm. we all do, you know, like get back in the game, girl, like you got this, like that was the sort of had the coaching voice, like we're getting back on the horse, whatever it was. And in this case, I just let it all, just the tears flowed. I didn't judge it. I didn't stop it. And I realized in the process, I didn't, I guess it wasn't conscious, but I really built a relationship with my heart. And in building that relationship with my heart, rather than showing up for myself the way that my parents and most parents show up for their kids, because parents don't like when kids are upset, right? They're just like, oh, it doesn't matter what they said or, oh, it doesn't matter. 
you didn't make the team. You know what? You'll make like they, they sort of, instead of just letting you fall apart and like be sad and be sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be sad and know like, and be there for you, right? Be a container of love and like un, just unconditional love because it, it hurts them. So rather than be that kind of parent to myself through this, I just was like, really loved myself through it. Every time I had a bad feeling, instead of pushing it down, I wrote about it. I just took really good care of myself. And what happened was, I guess I, I, it sounds so corny, but it's, I don't want to say I fell in love with myself because it doesn't feel the same as when you fall in love with someone on the outside, but I really learned how to love myself. And once I learned that, I felt I had to share that because ultimately it's sort of like, I, I talked about this with somebody yesterday, you know, we're all born with unconditional love, right? That every baby, even like the worst person in the world was born a perfect, fully loving baby, right? From God. Mm-hmm. And then the conditioning starts. And whether it's the parents that want you to be this or the schoolmates that make you feel like this, And then this sort of person is created that no longer loves themselves or knows how to love other people unconditionally, right? Everything has attachment and strings attached and all of that jazz. And um, in my opinion, the whole point of the journey now I see is not to be the youngest editor-in-chief in the history of yada yada or to have everybody's attention or be enviable in any way. The whole point is to go back to our factory reset, which is unconditional love. Hmm. You know, the baby who looks at you and is just so joyful to see you, sees little things and like the delight, the, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I just want to vibrate in love and joy. And um, once I figured out the unconditional love piece, I just had to yammer on about it. Thank you so much to ZocDoc for sponsoring today's episode. Oh, Claire. Okay. Oh, I got, I feel like I have so much rage in my heart right now and I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited to release it. I'm so, so excited to be a sounding board for it. Listen, I told you that I went to the gynecologist last week mm-hmm. and had my IUD replaced yeah. and sounded um, awful. It was a whole thing. And unfortunately my doctor, my, my gynecologist who I love and who I'm not going to change from because mm-hmm. I think she's really great, does not use ZocDoc. And when I showed up at the doctor's wow, office- Wow, she must be really great then. <laughs> she's really great. Like, thank goodness, because Claire, yeah. listen to this nonsense. Okay. I show up at the doctor's office to get my IUD replaced. And they're like, we don't do that IUD unless it's by special request. And I was like, but I special requested it. And they said, who did you talk to? And I said, the receptionist. And the nurse looked at me and goes, well, I mean, oh. <gasps> I was like, what? What? are you kidding me? And I was like, well, what was I supposed to do? She's like, I mean, nothing, but. And, uh, wow. Uh, wow. Uh, this is why I want to be able to do this on the internet myself and so write all the things it. down yeah, and track exactly. it and know and have the like, in this case, have unfortunately, the paper, trail. paper trail. Yeah. The digital paper trail. Wow. Salt in the wound. Salt in the wound. Well, this, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, moving forward, except any other doctors who are not on ZocDoc. Because I'm, not. ZocDoc <laughs> I'm not open to it. <laughs> we love ZocDoc. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. You just download the free ZocDoc app at ZocDoc.com slash a thing or two for the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or video chat. Never wait on hold with a receptionist again. Whether you need a primary care physician, dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. You can even use ZocDoc to book vaccine appointments in some markets, which, wow. Go to ZocDoc.com slash a thing or two and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. I also just want to thank ZocDoc because for a little podcast like us to have a dream brand that we've been using for so long that we just feel great about, tell us they want to advertise just feels wonderful. So we'd feel so great if you use this special URL that they gave us to let them know that it's working. So you're just going to prioritize your health right this second. Go to ZocDoc.com slash a thing or two and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today, which is also wow if you ask me. 
I liked that newsletter so much because something we talk about a lot and that I've always felt is that nobody takes breakups seriously enough. If it's a divorce, people will give you a lot of leeway to be totally destroyed. But if you just broke up with your boyfriend, it's like it's not treated as this life altering trauma and grief. And it so often is. And it really was for me. Like I would get destroyed by them. And I think something that you brought up in that newsletter that I have reflected on recently is this idea that like you are working through so much other shit by way of that breakup. And that's like so much of where the pain comes from. hundred percent. And I think the breakup, like part of the pain and grief of the breakups is one, you're isolated. And like so many traumas you go through, you are going through them with other people, right? Someone dies, you and all of their loved ones are mourning collectively. But in this instance, something dies and there's only two people mourning it and you can't, the, the other person can't comfort you. And, and your friends don't just like ne- don't necessarily get it. Like don't they get people, it. Right? Yeah. They don't feel comfortable because they don't want to catch the disease, right? And so yeah. they are like, he's a dick. He's right. this, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's that. And you're done with like him. Worst. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and and all of that is just to say, hey, don't grieve. Mm-mm. Right. Mm-mm. Not comfortable. And you so then so then on top of all the gr- the grief and the pain you feel shame you're like embarrassed that you're so right. upset about this guy who or this girl or whoever who wasn't your husband or wife or whatever it was just your boyfriend your girlfriend and that is so like painful and awful and I loved that your newsletter like sort of honored all of that and honored how weighty it can be and 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 I think people are like that about divorce too by the way yeah like, even interesting to, to like I I recently just to, just today. You know, I I'm at a part of my divorce that for me is hard, right? It, it has to do with like figuring out all the business stuff, and it's like, whoa, 26 years together comes down to this, like these numbers, this piece of paper, like these spreadsheets, an agreement, like it feels so. Whoa. And as I, so I've been really today, I have to tell you, it was a really heavy day for me. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting with that. I was sitting with the fact that I put that letter out there and and, and that letter had consequences and, and emotional consequences for me about the breakup. And so today I've just been sitting with heaviness and my God, my friends, and I'm talking about smart people, therapists, chaplains, you know, they're not comfortable with me being sad, yeah. you know, they're, they're just like, well, let's get into the, you know, like we can, there are solutions and like, they're not, you know, like just wanting to come out of it. And I just was like, Hey, I'm in fetal position right now. Um, you're welcome to join me. Um, but please don't tell me not to be here because that's what my heart needs right now. I just, I need to be in this zone. And, and I would just love to, if, if all I can do is just make that acceptable to be sad, there's a difference between grieving and depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. One of the things I'm noticing about the media culture in general, everything is just very fast and superficial and funny. And there's a lot of funny, um, but I, you know, I'd like to create more spaces where we can just be intimate in that way. Your newsletter is so intimate. Like, crazily intimate in a way that it doesn't feel salacious it does it, but it really does echo the feeling of reading a teen magazine what or at least what it was like when we were growing up and it's like it's not uh that is not i think the case any longer but i am sort of amazed at how have you have sort of replicated the experience for an adult audience oh thank you well you know and it's interesting because you know the internal life it doesn't matter how old you are, no. right? When your fucking heart is broken, whether you're 13 and it's Justin Bieber who broke your heart by marrying Haley, mm-hmm. <laughs> or it, it's like what happened with me and, and, and my bear or, you know, anybody, it's the same, you know, we're so united in our hearts. And if we can create just a, a space where we can connect on that level, I just think it's, um, it's really multi-generational. Well, we get, I think we get this like false sense that we grow out of these things um, mm-hmm. or that like we get too old for feelings or something. Mm-hmm. I think um, we calcify. I think yeah. we armor, we harden. You know, one of the big things that I worked with this guy, he's amazing, um, Mark Willen, who uh, he wrote the book, It Didn't Start With You. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about ancestral family trauma. And he had this whole list of questions that you ask your parents to sort of try to figure out like where, you know, some of the stuff you're dealing with 
did it come from them and, and past generations? I had a four and a half hour conversation with my mom. All right. She is 89 years old, right? So you figured 89 years old, like you figured your shit out. I mean, she was telling me things. She's like, I've never told anybody this in my life. Many things that were like jaw dropping. Mm. And I think that you never grow too old for feelings. I think that feelings become too hard for us. And so we harden or we push them down. But I think it's just, it's so important to connect on that level. Can we talk a little bit more about your newsletter? Please. Thank you. Why did you decide to start it? What made you want to do it? I mean, I really missed being in relationship with the audience. I really did. I mean, when I was working, that was the most important thing to me. And when I stopped working, it was really because I had hit my wall of, I was not sharing that I had been molested. You know, there were things I was having affairs and yet I was a Tusa from 17, a sort of role model for teenagers. I just, there were things that were not right in my own personal life. And so I needed to rectify those things for myself. And then once I did, I felt like I had stuff to share, like this whole idea of how important the inner life is and to make space for sorrow, you know, it just being a human being and looking around the world and seeing how much hatred and all the stuff that's coming out. I'm a person, I don't really stand in judgment of anybody, including the people that everybody sort of almost particularly in circles like ours unilaterally hates. I see those people and I think, wow, you are a hurt person and you've been through a lot and my heart breaks for you. That doesn't mean I believe what you're saying or I agree with you, but I think, wow, you're a hurt person. And if we could make space for our grief and for our sorrow, um, I just think people would be so much more connected because we are, we are connected. So I just felt like I'm just one little person. There's not much I can do, but I've learned a lot and I'd love to share it. I'd love to be in community and just see where it goes. Cause I, I felt a little bad. I felt like, I felt like young women didn't have, I don't know, like a safe and intimate space. You know, it just mm-hmm. seemed like a lot of quick, fun and funny conversations that were just not going to the deep places that I felt were really important places that I wish I had been able to go when I was in my twenties and thirties and working. That's super interesting because you're right. Like as the format, as the modes of communication have changed for these things, it doesn't allow for that sort of conversation. What does it feel like to be in conversation with a reader or an audience now? I mean, it feels, it feels great. It's the, the parts for me that are hard. It feels very natural. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't, I don't. Um, it's just like who you are and what you do. Yeah. To me, that yeah. part's easy. The part that's not easy is I used to have like 80 people. I clap my hands and like, <laughs> shit gets done. And now like yesterday I was doing a clubhouse and I'm giving stink eye with one eye to the kids like get out. And I'm like, trying to be <laughs> inspirational on the other, on the other hand. So, you know, it's different because I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a one woman, one woman show, but it's Do great. you feel like this could be something that turns into a more than one woman show? I hope so, because I feel like I want, I want to create a village, you know, like Mm -hmm. in other cultures, the village is who holds, it's who holds you, you know, and, and you, you have people that have your back, you know, and like, I feel like I want to create, I, I feel lucky. I have four people, like my four best friends, they fucking have my back. They are my village. And like, I want to create that environment Mm. for us all, you know, for, I mean, not just women, but like, you know, whoever this speaks to, who wants to have intimacy, who doesn't think sorrow equals depression, but like, you know, that can, knows that sorrow is the opposite, you know, the opposite end of joy. And like, we need to have one in order to have the other and to flow between them. You know, it's just a different, it's just a somewhat of a non-binary, I guess, way to be emotionally that allows for the spectrum of feelings, you know? So I'd, I'd love to create a village. I'd love unedited to be um, 
a brand that is beyond just a Tusa unedited, mm-hmm. but that allows other people to be unedited in community and to feel safe. I want ev- I want to create a space where you can show your soft belly and not get knifed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know. And if mm-hmm. you get knifed in your life, you can come back to the village, and we will sit with you, and we will right. take care of you. Are you finding that a lot of the subscribers to the newsletter are the same women who were reading you when you were at 17? Yeah, it's so, oh my God. The subscriber list is so effing hilarious because, <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. that's not the hilarious part. But like, it'll be those women who are so impressive. I just like, in the same way that I'm so impressed with Erica and obviously <laughs> you, but I didn't know you then. Right, right, right. right. But like, you would have liked her. You would have been really <laughs> into her. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank but you, Erica. Like these girls, they're all so smart. They're so interesting. Formal readers are all in these big media positions, like media positions. I'm like, really? That's amazing. Like people who I should be like kissing their ass. Like if, if, if that's how I, you know, that's how I like to do business. If I did, <laughs> like, it's incredible. They're former readers. But then, and then they'll be next to really big, I guess, because, and me, you don't know this because you were students back then, but when I was in media, I had a lot of attention, you know, I was mm-hmm. always written about and, and all that jazz. So there's a lot of attention maybe on this little thing. And so then there'll be these big names too. And they're <laughs> also, they're writing to me with the same vulnerability. Like they'll say, oh, well, I went through it, but it's like somebody who's like, world famous. Yeah. And somebody who usually have to sign NDAs to like right. have discussions. <laughs> and, and, they're, and they're, but they're like, wow, I haven't thought about this for a long time, but X, Y, Z, and D right next to a girl who has, you know, 150 followers on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that's been sort of an interesting thing for me to toggle. And, and in that, because it's so intimate, nobody's like really commenting on the Substack message boards or Mm. even on Instagram. It's all an email, which feels Mm -hmm. sort of retro. Yeah. Like a little vintage. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So they want to be intimate with me. And so I have to figure out how we can be intimate as a village, as a village. And I understand that that takes time. I'm not in a rush. You know, this is a free newsletter. It's not, I'm not in this to like, become uh, you know the next robber baron uh, but, but <laughs> the robber baron of people staff. contending yeah. for that <laughs> we'll let them we'll let them yeah. take care of that right. but yes were you ever trepidatious about stepping back into the spotlight and having the light on you again in that way if i was it wasn't for the reasons you would think the thing that gave me and still gives me pause uh, if i'm going to be unedited with you <laughs> is my need for attention is something that I noticed when I was working. And, you know, I did get a lot of media attention and it was because I was very mediagenic, not by accident. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I wanted that attention because I grew up in a household where I just was completely neglected. Not because they're bad folks, awesome people, busy immigrants. We didn't have money my mom worked two jobs, you know what I mean? But like, I have three children, they come home from school, either, usually I pick them up, obviously, but I look at them in the eye, how was your day? You know, if I walk out or I come back, I look at them in the eye, I'm back now. You know, like I wake them up in the morning, how was your sleep? Nobody was having those conversations with me, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's how, that's why being molested was really a symptom of the neglect. It was more the neglect that I really suffered from. I felt like just like a fucking tin can that was just like kicked like garbage down the street. And that feeling of worthlessness is what drove my commitment to being successful. It was like, I'm going to prove my worth. And so I have to catch myself and I've done so much work on it, but these are really big issues, you mm-hmm. know? And so like when I wrote that thing about the broken heart yesterday, like I really had to be conscious of, did I write it so that he would see it? Mm. Because I, do you know what I mean? Am yeah, I writing of course. It? And, and so I'm just having really honest conversations mm-hmm. with myself Like, all right, I have X, you know, 1500 subscribers to the newsletter. Mm -hmm. 
don't get in the headset of more, 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 you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I Mm -hmm. need the attention or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not about that. It's just about really staying honest with the work. And I guess just the fact that I can talk about it and I can, I can bring it into the room. um, That's the piece that I, I keep my eye on. Weirdly, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about me. Um, I've always sort of been okay being me and, Um, so I don't mind the attention in that way. I just want to make sure I'm not chasing it because that's not good for me. And that's just not the place I want to be at. What did being mediagenic or being good at being mediagenic look like in the early Mm -hmm. 2000s? I mean, I was like, you know, you know how to be a piece of candy, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's saying things that are provocative, that people are want to write about dressing in a provocative way. Now, mind you, none of this was conscious, right? Mm -hmm. When your programming is give me attention from basically birth, right? you know, like if you look at pictures of me in college, I was the girl who in my sorority, the standards committee had to have a meeting before the formal to say, you can't wear that dress. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, let me show you. Fuck you. I'm going to show you how I'm going to wear that dress. And I'll I'll put it, I'll put a picture of that dress on my Instagram. But like, (laughs) you know, I've always known how to get attention because I was so needy for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But in media, it just means like, you know how to, you know how to talk. You just know how to work people. And you're not doing, I wasn't doing it on purpose. It was unconscious, um, but I did it. As someone who really likes getting attention, what has it been like to watch social media, uh, like enable a whole uh, generation of attention getters to go just absolutely wild with it? Yeah. It doesn't trigger me in any way. I'll be honest with you. I don't feel the need to participate, which maybe speaks to how far I've come. Yeah. Evolution. Uh, Yeah. I'd say, I mean, I never thought about it till now because I don't feel that pressure at all. You know, one of the things that's been not great about social media is that the people that are influencers in many, not all, in many cases, I'm just not that impressed with like, it's sort of like, it's one thing to get attention for attention's sake. It's another thing to be an attention seeking person who also happens to have like a powerful skill set. You know what I mean? And so, you know, like my, my daughter, I have a, I have a girl who's about to turn into a teenager any minute. And um, so she's 12 and like, I see the stuff she follows on TikTok, and I'm like, really, you know, and it could be even dumb stuff like do it yourself, but like, it's not, it's crap. It doesn't it's just work. Not good. It yeah. sucks. And yeah. like, I, I try to tell her, you know, she's like, well, you used to have do it yourself in your magazine. I was like, yeah, we fucking vetted by like, <laughs> there was a Reese fact checker, copy editor, editors. I mean, we were testing it. I mean, we made sure the shit worked. You know, and so like, I I can't tell you how many dumb like macaroons and bath bombs (laughs) I've made based on some bullshit uh, (laughs) she found on social media. And it's just like, I'm so unimpressed. What, what teen content or what teens are you impressed with or interested in? Teens? Teens. Like teenagers? Yeah. Like what stuff that you're doing? None of it. None of it. No. I mean, like, I was never like into teens. Yeah, I was yeah, into yeah. that group of teens because it was at that time in my life that first of all, I got the opportunity, but the opportunity made sense for me because it was at that point in my life where I looked around and I was like, holy shit, I was such a geeky kid as a teen. I'm like actually really cool. Like I had this moment, I remember mm. having an out-of-body experience where I was I was in Milan and Tom Ford, it was at the height of Tom Ford at Gucci. Mm. And it was after his probably most iconic show. We're on the runway. I'm with Tom Ford. And I was like, I look good. And I, <laughs> I remember being like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. If I could reach out to that girl who was 15, that was like being molested every day after school, I was so awkward and just, I don't know, unsure of myself in every way. If I could reach back to that girl and say, girl, you, you're going to have this life one day. That was very meaningful to me that moment. And so I felt like that part of my career really was reaching back and helping the girl that I was. And now those girls are the girls that I was when I was working, Mm -hmm. you know, and when I was anesthetizing myself with affairs 
and chasing attention. And you know what I mean? Um, so now I want to just sort of reach back to the girl that I was then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Older. Yeah. And, and when I'm like in a wheelchair in Florida, I'll reach out to, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> I'll reach back out to you girlies when you're in your fifties. <laughs> I'm in a very vulnerable position, you know, because I'm used to being when I was working to being like, you know, on top of the world and having like this big company behind me and and a step big staff and great offices and all the cachet that comes from being, especially back then, uh, part of a, a, you know, a big magazine brand. And I have none of that now. You know, I just have me and my little heart and uh, I have a dream of reconnecting and and help being of service. And also I know I'm going to, I am already being helped by it as well. So it just feels, feels vulnerable. Um, but in a good way, you know, in a good way, like I feel the same way. Like when I first started working, I didn't know where it was going. Right. When you're an assistant, you're just like hoping for the best. (laughs) And, and that's sort of where I'm at again. So thank thank you guys for being so kind to me. When you look at where the publishing industry is now, and especially like, you know, Condé Nast and and the, the challenges that they're facing, what, what's your take? I mean, bad news bears, you know, (laughs) (laughs) what else is there to say? Like, I mean, I'll tell you, like, if I put on my professional hat, I remember, you know, before I left, I mean, I had a lot of internal reasons for leaving, but I also had external reasons for leaving. And like, I remember at our last one of our, at the last budget meeting for 17, I had this big plan and I went in and I met with like the number two person who I wanted to get on board with the plan before I pitched it in a big way. And I was like, here's the plan five people on the magazine, because that's how they do it in the UK. That's mm-hmm. all. You have a tiny staff, five people on the magazine, the rest of us on 17.com. Let's mm. blow this motherfucker out. And they were like, I'm going to what? <laughs> and they just thought that was crazy because back then it was like your D team was on the website. To me, that made no sense no. right? But, at all. And I remember also literally that same, within the same few months, I, I sat down with my, um, with my boss and I was like, a tablet's coming out. And, and she was like, uh-huh, this is before the iPad. I was like, this tablet is going to give us an opportunity to give much more private sort of like, people don't want to walk around with a magazine. Like we can come to them like, this is very exciting. And they were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A tablet. Okay. They just didn't give a shit. And like, it happened at the right time. Like that was very frustrating to me, mm-hmm. but like the parallel track was, I was like self-destructing. Mm-hmm. So I was able to just be like, yeah, you guys suck. Right. <laughs> I'm going to leave. But the real journey was a whole different one, you know, than I intellectually thought I was going to have. Uh, but yes, I mean, it's a sad, it's a sad state of affairs in those industries, but it seems like they're being, I don't know much about Condé Nast, but I can say what it seems about Hearst. I, I read a little bit more about them is that they've really diversified. Mm-hmm. And so as businesses or as a business, it seems like they're they're doing a good, good job, mm-hmm. but as in terms of content, like what it was before, it's a bummer. I mean, but there's a huge opportunity. I mean, like there's so much opportunity for there to be leadership. Uh, And that's, I guess, the space I really want to get into Mm -hmm. is to, you know, knowing that right now the zeitgeist is just like fast, superficial ways of connecting. How can we, there's this opportunity for just something deeper and more intimate. What content do you consume or what speaks to you? I fucking love goop. I know like I sound like such a, I don't know. I, no, I don't know I mean, why listen. people judge, yeah. judge it. Um, I listen to podcasts, hmm. you know, uh, whether it's Dax or the fucking smart list guys like mm-hmm. crack me up. Tara Brock is a spiritual teacher. That's very important to me. I, you know, listen to her every day. I just, I, I love the podcasts more than anything. I don't read any magazines. Um, at all. I read the New York post cause I like me, my, my page six. Um, but that's really held up, you know, it. that has yeah. been unchanged. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Atuza, thank you so much for coming on. This was amazing. Oh, we just love talking awesome. to you. And thank you. we're thrilled to have you in our inboxes every week. Thank you. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so, so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us to make this podcast happen, especially our outstanding producer, Brian Peoples. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com. If you love our show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu at, you guessed it, a thing or two HQ.com.